0: The uh, the passage that Tim will be focusing on a little bit later in the service is uh, Luke chapter 21 and verses 5 to 19. So that's Luke 21 verses 5 to 19. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. Then he said to them Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Amen. And Matthew is going to come and lead our prayers of intercession.
1: Long time ago, before I was a Baptist minister, I worked for Prudential Assurance in Hammersmith as a claims clerk dealing with domestic, motor, and commercial claims. I think it would have been a great career, but God had other ideas, so I stand before you this morning preaching this sermon. For home insurance, when it comes to distinguishing between buildings and contents insurance, the old rule of thumb that applied then still works today. Imagine turning your home upside down and give it a shake. Anything that stays put is probably part of the building. Anything that falls off, well, that's contents. Transfer the image to today's reading from Luke's Gospel. Your life's turned upside down and give it a shake. What stays put? What falls off? When everything starts disintegrating, what do you hold on to? Or perhaps more importantly, what holds on to you? Today's the first Sunday in Advent. In the churches, Canada, today's the day when the clock starts ticking down towards Christmas, as Ken reminded us. And uh, many of us find uh, the build-up to Christmas quite stressful. Because we don't celebrate Advent, we get stressed out over Christmas. And what we could really do with on the first Sunday in Advent is something calm and soothing. The sort of spiritual equivalent of sitting down with a nice cup of tea, someone holding your hand and telling you, it's all going to be alright. Instead, we get something to match our mood a rundown of apocalyptic tribulations. What have we done to deserve this? It's all part of getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And before we start to think about wise men setting out on their long journey in time to find the baby Jesus after he's been born, the compilers of the lectionary want us to think about Jesus' second coming, his return in power and glory as judge of all the earth to bring God's kingdom to a troubled world. So as we leave Deuteronomy behind, and embark on our tour through Luke's Gospel between now and Easter, we start with Luke 21. And Jesus talking to his disciples about the end, the moment when the curtain finally comes down on the world. And if anyone thought that travelling through Luke's Gospel was going to be like a pleasant walk in the park after the rigours of Deuteronomy, those illusions are instantly dispelled. This is disturbing stuff. Jesus pictures the whole world being turned upside down and given a shake and demands to know. If that happens, what do you hold on to? Personally, I blame the people who spoke to Jesus about the temple for getting started on this unpleasant subject. Look how amazing the temple is, they said to him. Isn't it wonderful? But Jesus was clearly in no mood for small talk that day. It's all coming down, he says which wasn't easy to hear because they hadn't actually finished building it yet. But the whole lot is set for demolition. By the time they finish pulling it apart, there won't be one stone left standing on another. It's that kind of shocking talk that got Jesus crucified. Because the temple wasn't just a work of architectural splendour, it was the very centre of the nation's religious and national life. This was God's house. And for lots of people, their devotion to God was matched by their devotion to the temple. It was sacrosanct. The news that the bulldozers were going in would have provoked a deep-seated, visceral reaction in Jesus' hearers. They were so stunned that all they could say was ask, when will this happen? And how will we know it's going to happen? Many of you here this morning will have a strong emotional attachment to this church. And if you were told it's going to be smashed to smithereens, you would go, no, no, surely not. Even if we couldn't get the window shut this morning, we'd still say, no, surely not. Multiply your sense of disquiet 100,000 times and you begin to identify with Jesus' listeners. This is the equivalent of a massive explosion destroying the Palace of Westminster or Buckingham Palace or any, any building that represents the nation. It is a prospect too horrible, awful, terrible to contemplate but Jesus has only just got started it's not just the building that represents the nation's core identity that's going the whole world is going to be turned upside down before his return in power and glory there will be wars revolutions invasions pitched battles you're looking at earthquakes famines plagues It will feel as if the sky is falling on your heads, he says. And we've seen more than our fair share of natural disasters in recent months as the the, the ratchet turns up on on climate change. We've seen the devastation wrought by earthquakes. We've seen the awful threat of famine in Yemen on the back of the plague there, Um, uh, on the back of the war there, sorry. Back in 2014, The Independent ran an article making the point that there were only 11 countries in the entire world that could be considered conflict-free. Back then, the 11 countries were Switzerland, Japan, Qatar, Mauritius, Uruguay, Chile, Botswana, Costa Rica, Vietnam, Panama and Brazil. But four years is a long time, and of those 11 countries, only Switzerland (laughs) seems to have been able to keep the peace with its citizens and neighbours, maintaining its 500-year track record of being a conflict year zone though it's still the place to go if you want to to take your own life. Otherwise, though we've mercifully been spared a third world war, which likely would herald the end of civilization as we know it, around the world, sometimes on a daily basis, people are living with violence and conflict. The world is anything but a peaceful place. But Jesus still hasn't finished. He talks about the political order being overthrown so that people end up living in a police state where the publicly accepted organs of law, order, and justice are replaced by an oppressive regime where every aspect of our social, political, economic, and religious life is subject to the arbitrary exercise of power enforced by security services with limitless power and zero accountability. Suddenly, even going to church puts you on the wrong side of the law. Doesn't happen here, but it does in other parts of the world. Reports coming out of China suggest that the pendulum is starting to swing back against Christianity after the regulations on religious affairs were revised back in February. According to Release International, the persecution of Christians in China in some areas is now at the highest level since the Cultural Revolution. Thousands of churches banned or closed down. Crosses torn down or replaced with a national flag. Power's been cut. Windows have been smashed. Property confiscated. In some cases, buildings have been demolished. Pastors have been arrested. And lawyers trying to represent them in the courts have been been detained. A US State Department report on religious freedom, and you always need to be a little bit critical of of the way in which the United States reports news in other parts of the world, but that report has described China as carrying out a far-reaching strategy to control, govern, and manipulate all aspects of faith, including torture, forced confessions, and compelling Christians to renounce their faith. So Jesus' predictions sound chillingly accurate. When he tells his followers, everyone will hate you because of me, in some parts of the world that's exactly what it feels like. Writing in the Sunday Telegraph today, Justin Welby has talked about the Christians in the Middle East being on the brink of imminent extinction as they daily face the threat of violence, prejudice and murder. The worst time to be a Christian in the Middle East since the Mongol invasions of the 13th century, he says. Jesus also warns of the disintegration of families, parents, of families as, as parents, brothers, relatives and friends betray each other. Handing each other over to the authorities for execution. And in many parts of the world today, becoming a Christian is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Because if your family find out they will disown you if they don't kill you quietly to avoid shame being brought on the family because of the the stigma attached to having any kind of association with Christianity. But before we start to make the mistake of thinking that Christians have the monopoly on being persecuted and start to look for evidence to support our own particular martyr complex, let's not forget the BBC's news report this year, this week, that around the world last year, at least 30,000 women were killed by an intimate partner and 20,000 more by a relative. So more than half the women who were killed last year died at the hands of a partner or member of their family. For many women, the world is just not a safe place to be. The BBC investigated the 47 women who were killed on the 1st of October last year and highlighted five of them. Three were murdered by their estranged husbands. One Iranian woman was executed for killing her abusive husband, although her confession was obtained under torture and her conviction was deemed unsafe. And one Indian woman was killed by her parents after she'd been out for the day celebrating her 18th birthday with her boyfriend. We hear what Jesus says about families tearing each other apart and we recoil from it. But the reality is that around the world, the unthinkable happens on a daily basis. And some people say to me, where's it all going to end? What's happening? And the answer is, it's all going to end with Jesus coming back. He said all this. All this turmoil, all this upheaval, all this trouble in the world, all that is just the prelude to his return. It's the kind of upheaval we should expect before the day comes when he returns in power and glory to sort it all out once and for all. And Jesus said we should be ready, we should be prepared. This kind of stuff should not take us by surprise. Many people in parts of the world where persecution is on the agenda know that this is what they face, if they're going to turn to Christ. And they do it anyway, because they know that Jesus is Lord. And it's a price they're prepared to pay. The idea that God's in his heaven, all's well with the world, has never been part of the Christian message. Jesus came for a world gone badly wrong, and he said before it gets sorted out, it's going to get worse. So be ready for that. Even Horsham, little little bubble of respectability and safety that it is, has crime statistics that many of you have lived here for many years find disturbing. It's not the place it used to be. Back in August, 45 violent or sexual offences were committed, 29 antisocial behaviour offences, 14 incidents of cr- criminal damage or arson, 7 crimes involving vehicles, 16 public order offences, 40 plus different kinds of theft, 3 drugs offences, and one possession of weapons. Even in Horsham, we feel the, the, uh, the shockwaves a tiny, tiny little bit. Other parts of the country, that kind of stuff happens on a daily basis. But as our world starts to tilt, and we see things beginning to slide, what stays put? What gives way? What do we hold on to? What holds on to us? And Jesus said, the one thing you don't want to lose is your faith. Because it's by standing firm that you will gain life and not a single hair of your head will perish. And when I see Jesus, of the long list of questions I've got, one of them is, what did you mean by that? When you've just said that your followers will be persecuted, imprisoned and be put to death, how can you say not one hair on their head will perish? How does that work? But then, I tell myself, it probably works, because in the end, all those who belong to Jesus will come through all that and get to see him face to face. And then, despite what they've been through, it will all be okay. Because whatever life throws at us, however life ends, as one day it inevitably must, unless we're around to welcome Jesus when he comes back in person, the promise is that your faith will see you through it all and out the other end. Because if your faith is in Jesus, he will be there and he will get you through. He will see you safe home into his presence. I remember one day, as, as a boy, going to, on a school day trip to France, at primary school. Back in those days, we each had some kind of day pass to get us across the channel and back. And whether it's because I was particularly careless or because someone nicked it, I lost mine. These days, that might spark a major child protection incident at the border. But at the time, I simply remember the teacher telling me, don't worry, it'll be all right. And when we got to passport control, He put his hand on my shoulder and said to the guy behind the desk, it's all right, he's with me. And they let me through. That's the difference knowing Jesus makes. When you get to Heaven's Gate without papers, and you know you haven't got a right to be there because you haven't got the grade or met all the right qualifications, that's when Jesus will appear by your side and say, that's all right, he's with me. She's with me. You belong to me. Come on in. That's what it means to have Jesus as your saviour. That's what it means to know your life is in his hands. And if we're still around when he comes back and everybody else goes, what's going on? Who is this? You will know, that's all right. He's my Lord and my saviour. And he'll say, that's all right. She's with me. So when everything else goes out the window when your life turns upside down and everything falls apart, and when not just your home, but the whole world is turned upside down and given a good shake, hold on to your faith. Hold on to it. Because if Jesus is with you, through it all, he will be right there at your side. And at the end of it all, he'll be saying, he's with me. She's with me. And because that is the case, not a hair of your head will perish.